amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Blog Talk Radio. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host. It is Friday. It is June the 28th, 2019. And this past week, we have seen the first uh, two um, presidential primary debates from the Democratic Party. Certainly not the last. We'll be seeing lots more of these characters, lots more debates, lots more coverage, lots more controversy. But I thank you all for joining me. It's always a privilege and pleasure to join you at the end of the week so that we can play that inevitable game of catch-up. And boy, there's a lot to catch up on. Those of you who are familiar with me know that I'm a retired senior special agent with what used to be the Immigration and Naturalization Service, the INS, uh, an agency that was sliced, diced, um, spindled, mutilated, and beat up thoroughly by the Bush administration, even in the wake of terror attacks of 9-11, to create a a, a bureaucratic behemoth, the Department of Homeland Security, that because of the way it was cobbled together, uh, unfortunately, I had to call it the Department of Homeland Surrender. Both political parties have gotten us into this mess, and ever since those terror attacks of 9-11, when the ashes from that conflagration landed on my home and in part contained the ashes of my neighbors and so many other people from all over the country and indeed all over the world, I've been a man on a mission. And and my mission has been to wake everyone up about the true significance of America's immigration laws, the true significance of America's borders, And for starters, we need to understand that America is a country that does not have just four border states, but a country that has 50 border states. That's not to minimize the significance of the Mexican border. It's a disaster. But we really need to understand what immigration is if we're really going to make it work for America and Americans. And, of course, that seems to be a very tall order these days. Uh, Both political parties have screwed this up. It's not that the problem can't be solved, folks. It's that the politicians, the people in power, the people that are beholden to the contributors, the campaign contributors, and they come from both sides of the spectrum, George Soros, the Koch brothers, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, the the lawyers, the religious organizations, corporations, Silicon Valley, Everybody has got their finger in the pie. Everybody is manipulating the system to their advantage, but almost invariably, their advantage is not good news for America or Americans. This is not a left-right issue. It's a right-wrong issue. And having spent so many decades in the immigration system, I began, I hate to tell you how long ago, 1971, as an immigration inspector, assigned to Kennedy International Airport. I was there for four years. For one of the four years, I was detailed as an adjudications officer doing those marriage interviews that you've seen in the movies, usually lighthearted, romantic comedy. Everybody laughs. and Everyone thinks, what a grand old time. How cute. Uh, Immigration fraud, folks, as it turned out, was the key method of entry and embedding the terrorists, and not just on 9-11, but repeatedly. And that's not just my opinion. It's the opinion of the 9-11 Commission. So my job is to try to get everyone to understand how all these elements of the immigration system are failing and how that failure should be of great concern to everybody. And let me begin by saying this is not about xenophobia. You're going to hear that, but there's a lot of lies and myths and nonsense being spewed 
This is not about political correctness. Uh, as I pointed out when I was on Fox and Friends first earlier this week at the ungodly hour of 5.15 in the morning, uh, you know, when you, when you go to a studio at that hour, you don't know if you're very late or very early, but you're certainly very turned around, and you wind up with jet lag without traveling anywhere. But the point that I made during my appearance, and I provided a link to it, I hope you take the time to watch it, <clears throat> a video that is a link to the video of my appearance on Fox and Friends, I, I turned to the audience during the middle of my segment where we were discussing the candidates from the first debate and their positions on immigration, and I said that my homework assignment for the audience was to go and read the novel 1984 written by George Orwell. What we're witnessing is not political correctness. Let's get rid of that nonsense. This is Orwellian newspeak. This is about thought control through language control. Human beings think with words. When you alter the words, you alter perceptions and thoughts. It's as simple as that. That is why when there is a revolution in a country, when there's a coup d'etat, the first thing the rebels seize after they seize the airport to make sure that no one comes in behind them to take them out, they get hold of the radio, television, and uh, less significantly these days, but nevertheless, the printing presses that are used by the newspapers and magazines. The control of information is critical. Knowledge is power, and Americans are being given what we used to call in government the mushroom treatment. Americans are being kept in the dark and being fed a lot of manure, a lot of fertilizer, to put it politely. My program is about offering a counterpoint, a reality-based counterpoint, because this is not, for me, conjecture. You know, as I started to point out, I started as an inspector. I spent the years as an adjudicator. I spent 26 years as a special agent. I was at every squad within the investigations branch. I became the first INS agent assigned to the Unified Intelligence Division of the Drug Enforcement Administration in New York City. And after nearly four years in that assignment, which was really an amazing assignment, I was kind of like sitting in the catbird seat because I had access to all the ongoing investigations by DEA, not only in New York, but significant investigations around the world. I was promoted to senior special agent and assigned to the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force, but always as an immigration agent. <clears throat> Most people don't realize how significant the role immigration plays in drug trafficking, terrorism, and a host of other issues. The second largest contingent of federal agents assigned to the Joint Terrorism Task Force are immigration agents because every foreign terrorist operating in the United States violates multiple sections of the immigration and nationality laws. And let's be clear. We hear from the, again, the lie. Oh, immigration, that's just administrative stuff. Nothing serious. It's like jaywalking. Well, that's not true. The penalty for reentry after deportation, for example, by criminal aliens is as high as 20 years in jail. I worked with Senator Aldamato, not as an agent, but as an American off-duty to help that law get passed. It is now one of the most frequently prosecuted felonies pursued by the U.S. Department of Justice across the country, not just in Texas, across the country, statistically. Big crime, easy to make the case. In a couple of afternoons of work, you can put together a reentry case and have a bad guy spend the next five, six, seven, eight years in jail and then get deported when they get out. The idea is we don't want criminal aliens wandering around in our towns and cities and streets. Sanctuary cities, on the other hand, harbor and shield and protect criminal aliens. It's insane. This is the level of betrayal that we are facing. And that's what this program is about, helping all of you to better understand the issue, cutting through the nonsense, cutting through the lies, cutting through the Orwellian newspeak, because there are so many lies being told, because there are so many people who have much to gain financially and from a political perspective by keeping our borders open, by flooding America with cheap, exploitable labor, not just the illegal aliens, H-1B visas and other work visas and immigrant visas for foreign workers who wind up displacing Americans. It's an outrage. Every politician promises, I'm going to create the jobs. We heard Camilla Harris say on stage, and it's going to be replayed again and again and again, the American people don't want a food fight. They want to know who's going to put food on their table. Folks, I'm a registered Democrat. The Democrats are Democrats. That's the issue. 
But no American, unless they're disabled, should expect the government to put food on the table. What we want the government to do is to create a safe environment, safe from the perspective of crime, drugs, gangs, terrorism. Keep us safe, safety first. And then create an environment that's conducive to the employment of lots of Americans. That's what this is about. Prior to the Second World War, immigration was administered and enforced by the, just, by the Labor Department because the whole point was to protect Americans' jobs and the wages paid to Americans, to not make Americans compete with third world workers or workers from any other country for that matter. Make sure Americans got to work. That's what FDR did in the midst of the Depression. Get rid of the foreign workers. They're taking the jobs Americans want. We got the 40-hour work week, not because of unions, because the government said if you need to employ somebody for more than 40 hours, hire a new worker. Get more people off of the, off the, the rolls, you know? So when people talk about compassion, why is it that compassion never seems to apply to American workers? Why does it not apply to American students? Why does it not apply to Americans living in poverty, particularly America's minorities? We hear the argument, oh, immigration, this is the new civil rights movement. Baloney. Baloney. Alien present legally, illegal, anybody in the United States is entitled to human rights and human dignity, a decent treatment, a due process. No one's arguing with that. But civil rights means that you are supposed to be a full participant in our society. It certainly didn't happen when there was slavery. It certainly doesn't happen when there's discrimination and people are left out of the game. And that could happen to anybody. It's not just a, you know, a black issue. But the civil rights movement was specifically started because of all of the injustices committed against black Americans. Between slavery and Jim Crow and discrimination and segregation, outrageous stuff. But there's no surprise that the idea of the civil rights movement got co-opted by all these other groups because that's what they do. Think about the outrageous statement by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I call her Alexandria the barmaid. I refuse to call her AOC. I'm not going to elevate her to JFK or HST, Harry S. Truman, or LBJ. She is a first-term member of Congress who was elected by a few thousand votes and this is now the voice and the face of the Democratic Party. That is how bankrupt that party is, that they're looking for some shining person they can put up there and say, here is our leader. Let's play follow the leader. Alexandria the barmaid turned around and equated immigration detention facilities with concentration camps. For me, she hit the trifecta. And I wrote about this for Dennis Michael Lynch, dmlnews.com. It's one of the places where I write. I also write for, the, for um, Front Page Magazine, frontpagemag.com, sponsored by the David Horowitz Freedom Center. These are organizations that we should be looking to support because they have the courage and the moral um, fortitude, if you will, to tell the truth, to tell the truth. What a novel thought in a democracy that the media would tell the truth. So what I wrote for, D, for DML News it's simply this, and I mentioned it in my front page mag article also. As an American, as a Jew, and as a retired INS agent, for me, she hit the trifecta. This trivialized the Holocaust, the death camps, or what concentration camps were. That was the other name we used for them. The bigger ones actually had crematoria built in the center of those death camps. The people that were put into those camps, many were Jews. Six million Jews were killed. This was the so-called final solution. It was an attempt at genocide, the destruction of the Jewish people. And this, these people were worked to death, literally. I'm conflicted about the space program. We're observing, celebrating the 50th anniversary of American astronauts walking on the moon. I had the privilege of meeting some of those astronauts. I met Dave Scott, Jim McDivitt, Jim Lovell. I have a photo. I'm looking at it right now with Gene Krantz. And more recently, I met a current astronaut, Jack Fisher, just a couple of months ago in Washington. I'm a big fan of the space program. My original dream was to be an aerospace engineer. I did a little flying as a kid. These guys were my heroes. But Werner von Braun, the father of the American space program and the people that were brought over from Germany, from Pernamunda, where the German facility was building the V2 rockets that were used as 
terror weapons against the people of London, um, I have mixed emotions about him because he used slave labor to build the rockets that we used to kill the Brits. Yes, he did wonderful things for America, but America needs a moral compass. We need a moral compass. For all of the concerns about the founding fathers and who might have had slaves and so forth, I find it remarkable that there's nothing in the news about how the Germans who helped to build the American space program used slave labor during the Holocaust. It's an interesting dichotomy. How can you be outraged about slavery in America and not be outraged about what happened during the Holocaust, during the Second World War, far more recently, far more recently? Anti-Semitism has, is always rearing its ugly head, never more than now, and Ms. Ocasio-Cortez uh, seems to be leading the charge with Ilan Omar, uh, a woman who we gave asylum to when she came to America. Now there's some questions about whether she had been married to her brother. This is the theater of the madness. This is the theater of the absurd on steroids. If you're concerned about human rights and slavery, uh, we need to revisit what the whole point to the whole, what the lessons that we should take away from the Holocaust. Not a word. Crickets. You know, the, the mascot of the Democratic Party, they call it a donkey. I call it a jackass. But they have a second mascot now, and it's crickets. The sound of nothing. She comes out there and makes those scandalous statements. And, and some journalists are now calling immigration detention facilities camps. Again, drawing the analogy with the concentration camps. And, and where is Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House? She's interviewed and she says, oh, I, 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 she might have said something. I thought I, I, I'm not sure. What, what, what did she say exactly? You're the Speaker of the House and you don't know. You're either a liar or a senile. Nancy, no one's believing your crap. Certainly I'm not. And then you've got Nadler. He's got the guts to go after the President of the United States repeatedly I thought that we were a country that believed in the principle of, of no double jeopardy. As long as President Trump is in the White House, the attacks are going to continue. And I'm not a, you know, Trump is always right. No, I don't think anybody is always right. But the attacks on the president are attacks on America. We should be rallying around the president. America should want the president, whoever he or she is from whichever party, to be as successful as possible. Because if the president is successful, America is successful. And what exactly is it that Trump is doing that's so god-awful? Saying, let's make sure that Americans are taken care of first. Families don't give money to charity when their own children go to bed hungry at night. Think about that. He's called a hater. Well, I've been called a hater. I've been told that, I, that I'm anti-immigrant. My mother came to the United States ahead of the Holocaust. My mother's mother, my grandmother, died in Poland. During the Holocaust, we believe in concentration camps, but we don't know because my mother just totally lost touch with her. She, my mother came here as a 13-year-old, lived by herself in a rooming house, and worked in an umbrella factory for $3 a week. She came legally. I'm a big fan of legal immigration, provided that the people coming in can be properly vetted, that they don't pose a threat to our survival, to our safety, or to our jobs. It's very simple. It's very simple. I'm a New Yorker. I love living in New York. We're the most ethnically diverse city in the United States, if not the world. This isn't about xenophobia, but this is the game being perpetrated. This is the game being played by the globalists and by the politicians who are beholden to the people that make the campaign contributions that buy and sell the politicians. After Citizens United was decided by the Supreme Court, it basically said that unlimited amounts of money can be pumped into political campaigns. And from that point on, all bets were off. We now need a new position of the government, that of the official auctioneer. Politicians will do almost anything and everything for a buck. They have to if they want to win an election. Because if they don't have the money, they can't buy airtime. If they can't buy airtime, they're not going anywhere. They are not going to be elected. And if they are in office, they're not going to be able to win re-election. The way that the political parties kneecap the politicians that don't toe the line is they cut off the money. It's the equivalent of the mob showing up and shooting them in the kneecaps. Cut off the politicians' money for his political campaigns and you've doomed his campaign, and he or she is going to wind up out of, out of that position. That's what happened to Lou Barletta when he ran for the Senate, because he is not a globalist. The Republican Party did a number on him. He didn't have the money for a commercial. He lost. He lost, kneecapped by the Republicans who didn't want a 
person in the, in the Senate who believes in a sovereign United States. Both parties are doing this. If you want to look for collusion, look at the eight gangsters who tried to foist comprehensive immigration reform on us. I came to call comprehensive immigration reform the Terrorist Assistance and Facilitation Act. The reason being that there was no capacity to interview these people, let alone conduct field investigations to know who the hell they are or when they actually got here. The president is trying to end DACA, and it has made its way to the courts. How have we ever seen this, or where have we ever seen this before, that a new president comes in, especially from the opposing party? Obama was a Democrat. Trump is a Republican. He said, let's end DACA. Lawsuits. Lawsuits. The court should have said, baloney. No lawsuits. Move on. It's policy. It wasn't a law. It wasn't a law. DACA was a scam. And the courts now are going to take it up. I hope they come up with the right decision, but I have no idea what decision they're going to come up with. How could it be controversial to ask in the census whether the person is a citizen or not? We ask how old and what the household income is and whether they live on a farm. Don't you think America should know how many people in the United States are actually citizens and how many aren't? This is a pretty fundamental question. We're not asking about religion. We're asking about are you an American citizen? This is controversial. If you believe this is controversial, check for a flatline EEG because I don't think you can fog a mirror. And it's been done in the past. This isn't new. And then we're told the cages. Well, Tom Holman, who had been with ICE during the Obama administration, made a clear statement just a couple days ago. He was the acting director of ICE, and he said those cages, so-called, were built under the Obama administration. They're blaming Donald Trump for it. If it rains tomorrow, if it rains on, on, on the 4th of July, I promise you there will be people that will blame Donald Trump because it rains on 4th of July. I don't agree with everything he says. I don't agree with everything that he does. But let's be fair and let's be honest and let's be decent about this. I have never in my life seen politicians that acted as despicably as this. You know, I, I was over at One American News. I just have to tell you. I was at One American News today. Um, and they arranged for a car to pick me up, bring me into the city so I could get into the studio, tape my segment, and go home. On my way home, the driver who drove me was a man in his 60s. He's from Pakistan originally, very bright man, very knowledgeable. He was aware of the Supreme Court decision, by the way, um, Citizens United. And he said to me, you know, I'm looking at the politicians and he said, I will tell you what my opinion is. I said, sure, I'm interested. What's your opinion? He said, America's politicians are no different from the politicians of the third world. His words, not mine. He said, I've never seen a more corrupt bunch of individuals. He said, I don't trust any of them. I don't believe any of them. He said, they're as bad as the third world and they're destroying this country. He said he was here for, I think, 15 or 20 years. And he said, in the time since he got here, America has been on the way down, and it's accelerating, and it worried him greatly. By the way, he happens to be a fan of Donald Trump, and he's from Pakistan. If you're rational and reasonable and look at the facts, the facts pretty much speak for themselves. What I find alarming and disturbing is how the politicians say things and then make other statements that go in the exact opposite direction, and the audience is clapping like crazy. And we're going to get into that in a moment. But, but I want you to, to understand one point, and I think this is really important. Um, I was originally a science major. As a kid growing up, I started teaching myself astronomy in the third grade. Carl Sagan, the astrophysicist, who used to be a regular on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, I actually met Carl Sagan, he came into the airport when I was an inspector, and I had the privilege of admitting him, and we shook hands, and I told him I was a fan. And he was the one who wrote the book, The Pale Blue Dot. They had the Voyager spacecraft as it was hurtling past Saturn. It's now past the heliopause. It's going into interstellar space, which is, blows my mind. Those twin spacecraft have been operating since the mid-'70s. Talk about exceeding the warranty. Uh, and, and, and they're so far away, I believe it now takes over a day for a radio signal from the Earth to reach it, and then it takes another day for the response to come back. I mean, th these distances are literally, forgive the pun, astronomical. Put it in perspective, it only takes eight minutes for the light from the sun to reach the Earth. 
but it, it takes many hours for the light to get from the Earth, just like radio signals, to the Voyager space probe. But in any event, the space probe was commanded to turn around so that it would take pictures of the planets of the solar system from the perspective of Saturn. And we saw the Cassini space probe do the same thing. And all you see is this little dot. And Carl Sagan wrote this statement about the pale blue dot. He said, think of all the people who've lived on that tiny dot. Every person you've ever heard about, every hero, every coward, every villain, all live there. And think of how many people were made to suffer so some tyrants could control a tiny part of that tiny dot for a moment in time. Truly amazing perspective. He said that the study of astronomy was character building. I would say it is humbling. You realize just how tiny and insignificant we are. There are billions of galaxies, and each galaxy has billions of stars, and every star, or most stars, have planets. We are nothing more, folks, than microorganisms inhabiting a mote of dust suspended in infinity. That's how I describe planet Earth with all of humanity. And we need to keep that perspective, and I think the study of astronomy helps. But it also helps you to understand by using analogies, because the numbers, whether it's the speed, speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, the distances, the time scale, so off the charts, it's nothing we can relate to. If I said to you, I drove to Washington, D.C., and it took me four hours, you think, well, if he's traveling about 60 miles an hour, that would be about right. We can all relate to that. But when I can tell you that to get from the Earth to the sun takes eight minutes at the speed of light, who can relate to that? Who can relate to that? At the speed of light, you would get from the Earth to the moon in about a quarter of a second. You can't relate to that. So you use analogies to try to wrap your brain around some difficult concepts. I'm telling you this because immigration is one of those issues. When you hear about millions of people and billions of people on the planet, and how much money is involved, it's staggering, and it leaves some people stunned. They, their eyes glaze over. How do I relate to this? How do we even know where to begin? Break it down to a smaller size that you can relate to. That's why I make the point that the difference between an immigrant and an illegal alien is comparable to the difference between a house guest and a burglar, because we can relate to that. We can relate to the fact that if you have too many people coming over for dinner, people are going to go without food. If you invite 30 people over for dinner, you better have more than two pizza pies sitting on the table. The United States is a country of finite resources. And that point was being hammered repeatedly during the last two nights in the debate. I, I remember one of, the, one of the people participating in the debate started out, this is very sobering, by saying, and I, I believe I'm getting this number right, that it's estimated that in the next five or 10 years, 20 million jobs are going to be lost to artificial intelligence, automation, and robotics. 20 million jobs gone. Now, maybe some new jobs will be created, but 20 million jobs gone. You're going to have automated trucks and cars and buses. Um, salespeople are being replaced. Computers are going to become diagnosticians because as there are more people, there's not enough doctors to go around. So it's not just people digging ditches, and certainly that's going to go away because you're going to have robots doing all the backbreaking physical work. You see it on the farm. Farming used to be labor-intensive. Go buy any farm today, and if it's a big enough farm, you see automation. You see these huge trucks, combines, that are, that are doing everything, planting and, and, and reaping the crops and doing all sorts of things without people really involved. So here we are being told 20 million jobs are going away, and yet you have the open borders crowd saying, let's continue to allow more people in than the number of new jobs we're creating. How in the world does that help Americans sustain themselves and their families? This is a very big problem because everybody needs a job in order to support themselves. This isn't a hard concept to grasp. And if you look at the impact of bringing in unlimited numbers of foreign students, when students can't speak, read, or write English, the Congressional Budget Office did a study back in 2006, and they said that students who are not fluent in the English language cost 20 to 40% more to educate. As it is, school districts around the United States are suffering from a lack of teachers, a lack of space, a lack of resources, and a lack of money. But you have the open borders crowd saying, let's bring all the kids into America. And let's make sure they all have health care and make sure that they all get free college. 
Well, free college, I happen to agree with free college for Americans. And I know my conservative friends, and they are my friends, and we need to have discussions, folks. We, we, we've become warring factions. It's the Bloods and Crips. You're either on the left or you're on the right. Otherwise, you're the enemy. No, no, this is America. Sit down with your neighbors you disagree with over a cup of coffee or a cold beer and have a conversation. What a novel thought. We're so busy Twittering and texting and all that other BS. Sit down and have a conversation. Look each other in the eye. We all pretty much want the same things for America unless we're nuts. The Democratic Party has become a wrecking ball, and the Republicans aren't any better. They started this nonsense with open borders to flood America with cheap labor to drive down wages. The Democrats used to oppose it. There's some amazing quotes from Bill Clinton and Harry Reid and all these people who ultimately did a 180 and stabbed us in the back. But both parties are in on this. Why do you think I came to call DHS the Department of Homeland Surrender? How dare George W. Bush, in the wake of the terror attacks of 9-11, take immigration, rip it to pieces, merge it with customs? What does customs have to do with immigration? The answer is less than nothing. Customs is about duty and tariffs and bringing in contraband, and immigration was about people. Before DHS was created, immigration was under the Justice Department and Customs was under the Treasury Department. They had nothing in common other than they were both border agencies. Once you got past that, total different agencies. This was designed to screw up immigration law enforcement. Why are there 6,000 immigration agents, half of them not doing immigration work? To protect us against terrorists, and the 9-11 Commission talked about how it was important to have border security. I'll read a couple of quotes in a moment. You would think that after 9-11, the president of the United States would say immigration is the issue. We thought that would happen after the bombing at the World Trade Center in 1993. And a month before that, the shooting at the CIA by a Pakistani by the name of Kansi killed two CIA officers, wounded three others. And his camouflage was a delivery van, a courier van that he bought into. And now you have New York State, the state hammered the worst on 9-11, giving driver's licenses to illegal aliens. This is nuts. Well, how are they going to get to work? If you're an illegal alien, you're not supposed to be working. If you're here on a tourist visa, unless you have permission, you're not supposed to be working. When I was an agent in the beginning of my career, I was in a squad. It was called area control. And our job was to find illegal aliens, whether or not they had criminal histories. And we would go into a factory or some other venue where people were working, a gas station, a farm, you name it. And if somebody came here on a tourist visa and they were within their time limit, okay, the time hadn't run out. They came here two months ago. We gave them, let's say, six months, and the guy is working. We would put handcuffs on him or her because a tourist visa does not allow you to work. Why not protect the jobs of Americans? If you really believe that you are a liberal, if you're a labor guy, what we're talking about is displacing American workers and driving wages through the floorboards. And you hear Nancy Pelosi, the leader of the Democratic Party, the Speaker of the House, saying, oh, they're arresting people and they overstate their visas. How terrible. I'm going to use an analogy. If you've ever gone to a hotel, whether for business or vacation, doesn't matter, you go to the front desk, You give them your credit card, you give them ID, and you sign the register. And if you read the small print, folks, you're guaranteeing that if you damage or break anything in that room, you're going to pay for it. You're going to pay for it. You smash something, you break something, they're going to send you the bill and you've agreed to pay for it. And they tell you when you have to check out. There's nothing wrong with that. You call up Holiday Inn, you call up the Hilton, you call up Embassy Suites whoever, and you say, I'd like to stay uh, uh, until July 9th. And they say, fine, Mr. Cutler. By the way, checkout time is 11 o'clock. If you need an extra hour or two, call the front desk. We'll work something out over an hour or two. If you don't leave the hotel, they're going to call the police and evict you. That's the equivalent of a removal, of a deportation. You agreed to leave. We have another customer waiting for the room. You need to clear out. If you're not going to leave, they're going to remove you because you don't have the right to that room beyond 
in this case, let's say July 9th, I'm pulling a number out of my left ear. What is unreasonable about a hotel saying you need to leave by the 9th? Now, I've been at hotels where occasionally something comes up and I say, gee whiz, can I stay two more days? And sometimes they say yes, but sometimes they say no. And if they say no, you call another hotel and you go down the road to the other hotel and check in for two days. I've had that happen. You're in town, you're in Washington, I'm having meetings, and, and a member of Congress would say to me, you know, Mike, I'd like to meet with you tomorrow. Gee, I was supposed to leave today, or I'll stay in town for another day. I have to find some place to go for that day. I don't complain that telling me to leave. I agreed that I would leave by whatever the date was, and I need more time, but they don't have the room for me. I've got to leave. That's what we're talking about, an alien who's here is a non-immigrant. That means they're here for a temporary period of time. And Pelosi's jumping up and down going, oh, my God, they're going to arrest these people because they overstay. Yes, of course they are. I had friends go to school in France, and they told me the day before they were supposed to leave, believe it or not, the police actually knocked on the door of the room where they were staying at the dormitory. And they said, don't forget, you're supposed to leave tomorrow. Do you have your reservation? Let me see your ticket. We want to make sure that you have a safe trip if you need to leave. What is wrong with that? Hotels limited. Restaurants might say to you, okay, we close at one o'clock, folks, last call at the bar and you got to leave. Are you going to say to the owner of the bar, how dare you make me leave? That's what we're talking about. There is no rational thought. When we talk about immigration, everyone gets flummoxed. We can't deport them all. The best we can do is give them permission to stay here. Baloney. We don't say that about any other section of law. Think of how many people get caught speeding on the highway. Very few. But people that get caught get caught. They wind up getting arrested, possibly. They get a ticket, whatever it is. But nobody would say, well, we only catch one-tenth of one percent of all speeders, so let's ignore the speed laws. Only immigration. And, And these are the BS excuses we get because the whole goal is to not remove the aliens. And if we can keep them here, and then if we, get, if we serve them with a notice and we can argue it in court, you've now made business for the lawyers. And boy, do they love that. Think billable hours. And now the Democrats are saying, we're going to provide free lawyers for the aliens, for the immigrants. Free? No, it's not free. We're paying for it. They're going to use taxpayer dollars to pay for lawyers to help people when under the law, they, illegal aliens, are not entitled to free lawyers. You don't get a free lawyer when you get caught speeding. You don't get a free lawyer if you screw up with your taxes. They don't say, oh, here's an accountant. He'll help you with No, you have to pay for it. But this makes work for the lawyers. And people like Zoe Lofgren, I believe she's now the chair of the Immigration Subcommittee, are immigration lawyers. And lawyers don't like to work for free. So the Democrats are going to provide lawyers. The city of New York, state of New York, let's provide lawyers. Sure, let's put the lawyers to work. No one ever says, how does this impact Americans? What does this do to our taxes? What does this do when aliens send money out of the United States? So just from that financial perspective, if aliens are sick and we have to take them to the doctor because having sick people running around the country is bad for community safety and community health, of course sick people are dangerous to community health. We have all these diseases to worry about, resistant tuberculosis and AIDS and and even now, we, we, we're worried that maybe some people from the Congo, we've had people from the Congo showing up on the Mexican border, by the way. It's not just people from Latin America. There's an outbreak of Ebola. Thousands have died. Do we want somebody with the Ebola virus on the train next to us when we go to work tomorrow? I don't think so. <clears throat> so the solution is don't let people into the country if they have a dangerous disease. Shouldn't that be in the law? Would you think that should be in the law? Well, it is. If you go to Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182, the grounds for excluding aliens, that has nothing to do with race or religion or ethnicity. I was watching that ridiculous display of people that want to be the president of the United States speaking Spanish. I had to speak Spanish because at the Border Patrol Academy, they teach Spanish. And if you don't pass Spanish, you're out of luck. I had a rough time. I almost flunked out, to be honest with you. And one of my instructors worked with me for an entire weekend in the language lab till they got me up to the standard that I needed to meet. But I could never, I, I could not possibly feel more alienated, pardon the phrase, in my own country when I get into a car 
with an Uber driver who doesn't speak English. God knows. I mean, we, we give licenses in 26 different languages, I believe, in New York State for, for your driving. I'd love to know how many people are injured or killed because of accidents caused by licensed drivers who can't read the road signs. This is the madness that we're witnessing. Don't get caught texting while driving, but it's okay if you can't read the road signs. Really? We've turned reason on its ear. And you would think that the lessons we should have learned from the attacks of 9-11 would have wakened us up, but it hasn't. But in any event, if you go to Title Eight, United States Code Section 1182, the grounds for exclusion, first on the list, at the very top, aliens with dangerous communicable diseases or aliens who are severely mentally ill. Ellis Island, we hear so much about it, <clears throat> it was a quarantine station. It was run by immigration and public health at the time of its completion. It consisted of 22 buildings and was the biggest hospital complex in the United States. And now we're being told, let the people in with the diseases and then we can treat them. Swell. Let's overwhelm the, the emergency room at the hospital. Now, who's paying for that? And you look at the cost of health care. And then you say to yourself, wait a minute, if you don't want to enforce the border, Alexandria, the barmaid, is now running around saying, no money for ICE, end ICE, end the border. No more border control. Let's have an open border. So you have politicians saying, if you come to America and you're here illegally, we'll give you free health care, free education, free college. They're not saying only for Americans or people with green cards. Anyone who comes here, free education free health care, and one of these dim bulbs said, and free clothing. We have to clothe and feed these people. Wow. So if you're in Mexico or Canada or you're thinking about coming to one of those countries you can get across the border, I guess instead of going to the mall in my home country, I'll go to America and have them take care of me for free. This is not sustainable. The left loves to use the term sustainability, the environment. Every person present in the United States has an ecological footprint. Everyone who's here needs electricity and water, and they need to go to the bathroom, and they need food, and they need to be kept warm in the winter and cool in the summer, and they need to be able to get on the highway and drive or get on a bus or a train and take that seat, and their kids need to go to school. The law says we are compelled to teach children and health care. And if you don't control the border and you offer anyone who comes here illegally everything they could possibly want, how do you stop it? And the answer is you don't. I have to come to the conclusion that the ultimate goal of what these Democrats are talking about is to crash this system. This is not sustainable. Think of what happens when they have the Black Friday sales. We've had people killed in the crush of humanity trying to come through the doors because that $1,000 TV is only $400, and everyone wants to get one. And there have been fistfights and shootings and stabbings because everyone wants it free. They want it for cheap. So you've got the Democrats saying free health care, free education, free this, free that, for illegal aliens, and let's eliminate controls on the border, and let's not have interior enforcement. You want to talk about inciting a riot on the border, and isn't that what we've witnessed, the caravans? And once these folks get to the interior of the United States in that game of hide-and-seek, 6,000 ICE agents, half of them aren't doing immigration work, they're not going anywhere. If you think your schools are overcrowded now, this is a prescription for a total disaster. If you think the highways are jam-packed and you can't get a seat on the bus, you're going to look back at today with nostalgia if the Democrats get their ways. And I'm not being partisan. I'm just listening to what they're saying. I'm taking them at their words. And, we're, and, and, and then you have Bernie Sanders saying, well, these poor people are running from the gangs in Honduras. And they are. And as an immigration agent, um, I investigated those gangs. I arrested those people. But do you not think that the gang members are coming to the United States along with the people that are trying to get away from them? Think of how ISIS embedded themselves in the refugee flows in Europe and what went on. And that brings us to the situation that we're now confronting in Latin America. Because in Latin America, we know that Hezbollah is working in close coordination with human traffickers and drug smugglers. This isn't conjecture, folks. 
there was a hearing held last April of last year about the issue with Iran operating throughout Latin America. And, and so what we know now is that Iran is actually um, – well, let me read this to you. I, and I wrote an article for Front Page Magazine, frontpagemag.com. Please go there. Check it out. If you find this program to be helpful, informative, eye-opening, whatever words you want to use, uh, please let as many friends as you can know about this. Be part of my bucket brigade of truth. All I'm trying to do is provide information that the mainstream media is ignoring. They are negligent, and they are endangering national security, public safety, the future of our children. That's what we're talking about. This isn't xenophobia. I'm Jewish, and because I uncovered a terror plot in Israel during my first fraud investigation, I worked very closely with the Israeli National Police. I probably arrested more illegal Israelis, particularly Israelis wanted for crimes back in Israel, than anybody in the history of the New York office. I arrested one guy who was wanted for murder in Israel. We sent him back to Israel. He stood trial and was found guilty of killing a Palestinian prostitute. I was very happy to put the handcuffs on this thug. Please understand, this isn't about race, religion, or ethnicity. It's about protecting innocent people. You have people coming to America trying to get away from MS-13, and to their horror, they're finding out that their children are going to school with MS-13 here in New York. I began investigating MS-13 Back around 1991, 1992, they were a small problem. They were always sociopathic and crazy and violent to the extreme. But we had relatively few. But it was the open border policy of the unaccompanied minors by the Obama administration that exacerbated the problem. So now MS-13 could be found in the majority of states throughout America. And the carnage is horrific. And sanctuary cities harbor and shield them. We had a case I wrote about it in Prince George's County in Maryland where two suspected members of MS-13 were arrested for attempted murder in the first degree and conspiracy to commit murder and robbery and ice lodge detainers. And the sheriff refused to honor the detainer and turned them loose. They had all kinds of excuses, and finally they acknowledged. They said, well, we didn't think that they were facing charges that were serious. Attempted murder isn't serious. So these two were released, and within just a couple of days, they killed a 14-year-old girl by bludgeoning her and stabbing her to death and carving her up like a turkey. Yet nothing is going to happen to the people that release these criminal aliens onto the streets, but the sheriffs who failed to act at Parkland, um, one is being prosecuted criminally, the others are being fired for failure to do their jobs. But the leaders, so-called sanctuary cities, nothing ever happens to them and people are dying. These aren't victimless crimes. And we have to worry about sleeper agents. And realize sleeper agents don't have criminal histories. That's why they're called sleepers. A sleeper agent enters the country legally, illegally, by whatever means, keep a low profile. They don't fight with people. They don't jaywalk. They don't spit on the sidewalk. They smile. And then they get the tap on the shoulder or the text message or the email, and they participate in an attack. And they don't have criminal histories. If the immigration system lacks integrity, then we can't protect ourselves. But let me just read this quote. This was the hearing that was held April 17, 2018, by the House Subcommittee on Counterterrorism and Intelligence. The topic of the hearing was state sponsors of terrorism and examination of Iran's global terrorism network. And look at the situation we're in with Iran right now. And by the way, for the record, the problem with the agreement that was agreed to by the Obama administration was it guaranteed Iran a nuclear weapon. Years down the road, but it was a guarantee that they were on the path to nuclear weapons. They could never be on the path to nuclear weapons. We have to understand that. Putting off the problem for a year or two or three and guaranteeing that they will ultimately get the weapons is not a solution. It's not an agreement. It's a suicide pact. It's a suicide pact. We hear all this talk about nuclear nonproliferation. Half the idiots that we've elected the president can't even pronounce it. Nuclear. Nuclear. Jimmy Carter. Nuclear. He was a nuclear engineer, and he calls it nuclear. Holy smoke, Batman. So you put a country that sponsors terrorism on the road to a nuclear weapon, what could possibly go wrong? Well, we've seen what's going wrong. So this hearing was, was a hard look at that. And there was an expert witness, Dr. Emanuel Odelenge of the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies. This is what he had to say. And none of the people there disagreed with him. 
The other witnesses agreed with him. In recent years, Hezbollah's Latin American networks have also increasingly cooperated with violent drug cartels and criminal syndicates, often with the assistance of corrupt local political elites. Cooperation includes the laundering of drug money, arranging multi-ton shipments of cocaine into the United States and Europe, and directly distributing and selling illicit substances to distant markets. Proceeds from these activities finance Hezbollah's arms procurement, its terror activities overseas, its hold on Lebanon's political system, and its efforts both in Lebanon and overseas to keep Shias communities loyal to its cause and complicit in its endeavors. And then he goes on and says this, and this is what keeps me up at night staring at my ceiling. This toxic crime terror nexus that is between Hezbollah and the cartels in Latin America is fueling both the rising threat of global jihadism and the collapse of law and order across Latin America that is helping to drive drugs and people northward into the United States. It is sustaining Hezbollah's growing financial needs. It is helping Iran and Hezbollah consolidate a local constituency in multiple countries across Latin America It is thus facilitating their efforts to build safe heavens to terrorists and a continent-wide terror infrastructure they could use to strike U.S. targets. And we're told we don't need border security. Four terrorists were just arrested in Nicaragua, believed heading to the United States. Guess why? To carry out an attack. After 9-11, and we just saw those hearings a week or two ago, uh, with John Stewart going nuts because it was a problem getting the funding for the people who were made sick, primarily first responders. Over 2,000 have died since 9-11. Add that to the 3,000 killed on 9-11. Tens of thousands a second. We're talking about over $7 billion appropriated up until now, and now Congress finally is agreeing to fund more. Who knows what the ultimate cost in billions of dollars will be, plus human lives and plus suffering. But the Democrats are saying that it's inhumane to secure the border. We have a legal immigration system that's the most generous in the world. We admit more than a million lawful immigrants every year. We admit tens of millions of temporary visitors every year. Why in the world are we bothering with a legal system when the Democrats and many globalists, and include some Republicans, want to give lawful status to unknown millions of illegal aliens whose identities can't be verified. Now think about Hezbollah looking to put sleeper agents in the United States. And then you have Castro, Julian Castro, saying you can't criminalize desperation. Well, I'm desperate to keep America safe. And look at the the terminology used by the media, folks. And I made this point when I was on Fox and Friends. Please watch the video clip. It's just under five minutes. I think you might find it interesting. We call them migrants. Migrant is not the same as alien. Cesar Chavez started the United Farm Workers Union. He called for violence against illegal aliens because they were destroying jobs and wages for American migrant farm workers. Americans are migrants also. But the whole point of this Orwellian nonsense is to eliminate the word alien from the vernacular. Everybody is an immigrant, a migrant, asylum seeker. Oh, my God, this poor guy is an asylum seeker. What they're not telling you is the majority of people that apply for asylum aren't approved. Not because we're mean, but because they don't meet the requirement. But it doesn't matter. You see, they don't have to meet the requirement. If you look at the embedding tactic of the terrorists, Let me just read something to you. This is really critical. You need to understand this. Oh, my goodness. I had it here, and then it just kind of went away. I hate when that happens. But please understand that the whole tactic of the the alien terrorists – let let me read this to you. This was the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel. It is perhaps obvious to state that terrorists cannot plan and carry out attacks in the United States if they were unable to enter the country. Yet prior to September 11, while there were efforts to enhance border security, no agency of the U.S. government thought of border security as a tool in the counterterrorism arsenal. Indeed, even after 19 hijackers demonstrated the relative ease of obtaining a U.S. visa and gaining admission into the United States, border security still is not considered a cornerstone of national security policy. We believe for reasons we discussed in the following pages that it must be made one. I'd love to know why none of the so-called journalists during these debates asked any one of those candidates, have you ever read the 9-11 Commission report? Simple question. Yes or no? Did you do your homework? You're making national security decisions. 
Do you even understand what's at stake? Of course not. Because this is about xenophobia, isn't it? Isn't it? And then we get to this statement. Once terrorists had entered the United States, their next challenge was to find a way to remain here. Their primary method was immigration fraud. For example, Yusuf and Ajaz concocted bogus political asylum stories. They were asylum seekers. They were asylum seekers. They were terrorists, okay? Yusuf and Ajaz concocted bogus political asylum stories when they arrived in the United States. Mahmoud Abu Alima involved in both the World Trade Center and landmark plots to see temporary residents under the seasonal agriculture worker program after falsely claiming it picked beans in Florida. Mohammed Salome, who rented the truck used in the bombing, overstayed his tourist visa. Just like we're hearing from Pelosi. So they overstayed. What's the big deal? He then applied for permanent residency under the Agriculture Worker Program, but was rejected. Ayad Mahmoud Ismail, who drove the van containing the bomb, took English language classes at Wichita State University. I wonder if he paid for it. On a student visa, he dropped out, but remained in the United States out of status. Finally, I want you to listen very carefully to this. Terrorists in the 1990s, as well as the September 11th hijackers, needed to find a way to stay in or embed themselves in the United States if their operational plans were to come to fruition. As already discussed, this could be accomplished legally by marrying an American citizen. I wonder about Omar's marriage to her brother, supposedly. Who knows? Achieving temporary worker status, that's DACA, okay, based on the DREAM Act. By the way, the A in DREAM Act is alien, and their age can be as high as 38 now if we're going to do this for everyone, which is what the Democrats want, reinstate DACA. This is nuts. We're told it's about children. Yeah, they have to claim they came before they were 16, but there's going to be no interviews and no field investigations. Say what you want and get away with it. That's called fraud, folks, a lie on paper for a benefit you're not entitled to if the facts are known. So they, then we go back and read this. As already discussed, this could be accomplished legally by marrying an American citizen, achieving temporary worker status, or applying for asylum after entering. Okay? In many cases, the act of filing for an immigration benefit sufficed to permit the alien to remain in the country until the petition was adjudicated. Isn't that what we're seeing with the asylum applicants on the border? Terrorists were free to conduct surveillance coordinate operations, obtain or receive funding, go to school and learn English, make contacts in the United States, acquire necessary materials, and execute an attack. 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel. Official government documents printed by the government printing office. These were the special agents and attorneys who worked with the 9-11 Commission. We keep hearing these are asylum applicants. What did the 9-11 Commission warn about? What was the point to the 9-11 Commission if they're not going to take the advice of the commission. Boeing has a problem with its airplanes. They were grounded. That's what the FAA does. It's not working. Look at the cost grounding those 737s. But the point is we don't want to see people die. We don't want airplanes falling out of the skies and cratering. But immigration is such a hot issue for these politicians that they don't give a rat's tail how many people die. For them, dead bodies are speed bumps. Dead bodies are speed bumps. They are more concerned with head counts in hotels and baseball stadiums and theaters than they are with body counts in the morgue. That's what we were hearing for the last two nights that sickened and disturbed me greatly as a parent and as a grandparent. We're talking about America's national security. We're talking about public safety. We're talking about how our own political elite are leaving us vulnerable at a very dangerous time because they have a political agenda and they have to curry favor with the people who write those checks for those campaign contributions that make their campaigns possible. This isn't xenophobia. This is an act of suicide if we don't stop the madness. As Americans, we have an obligation to get our voices heard. I always like to make the point that democracy is not a spectator sport. I didn't write those statements. I'm just reading them to you. And they were prepared by the people who were assigned to make certain that terror attacks didn't happen again. But they have happened since. And God forbid they will happen again. Fourth of July is coming. I hope that you all have a wonderful Fourth of July and realize 
how hard fought our independence and our freedoms are, we as Americans must work together, sit down and speak with each other, and make certain that we guarantee liberty and America's independence for generations to come. That's what we ought to be focused on. Please remember, folks, that democracy is not a spectator sport. I thank you for joining me. Please check out my articles at Front Page Mag uh, and DMLnews.com. And I look forward to seeing you again next week, same time, right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. Good night, everybody. Have a good weekend. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.